Okay, if you have a Bible, you can open to Matthew chapter 21. We'll look at verses 23 through 32. And the same passage is printed there on the next page of the bulletin for you. Uh, we have a difficult time living in reality. That is, uh, that is part of our reality. <laughs> we have a very difficult time relating to other people honestly, genuinely. Uh, we often live in denial and work hard to avoid the truth. We deceive ourselves. We try to deceive others. We construct false narratives in our minds so that even we become unaware of our own motives in our inter- interactions with other people. Uh, We have a hard time living in reality. Why? Why would we become so suspicious of the truth? Why is living in reality often so terrifying or painful to us? What kind of life is it when we cannot stand to face the truth? And what does all this mean for our relationship with God and with others? Is there any hope for us to be set free to live in reality with God and with each other? Yes, there is. It's a relationship with Jesus that sets us free to live in the truth. That is what we will talk about this morning from this passage. So let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, reveal to us the good news of life with you in Jesus as we consider the word of your Son together now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching. And said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes Go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So, uh, why are we talking about the difficulty we have of living? In reality, why are we talking about our need to be set free to be able to live in the truth with God and with each other from this passage? What, what does this passage have to do with those things? Well, because it's right at the root, at the heart of the conflict that the religious leaders had with Jesus. They were unable to relate to Jesus honestly. They're operating out of motives of fear, 
and suspicion and hostility. And this led to a serious breakdown in their relationship, and that is putting it mildly. So let's trace that out through this passage. Jesus has come to Jerusalem. He's come into the temple of Yahweh, the God of Israel, the one true God, like he owns the place. He has uh, effectively put an end to everything going on there, all the temple activities grinding to a halt, and he set himself up as the center of attention, healing people, restoring their humanity and God's presence, restoring their ability to participate in corporate worship together, and now uh, teaching people about the kingdom of heaven. So this has had the effect of offending the sensibilities of the religious leaders, because ultimately everything he's doing is a criticism of what they've done. It's a criticism of their abuse of their authority. They were the ones who should have been considering the foreigners and the strangers and the outliers and the outsiders and to make room for them in God's house of prayer. But instead, they had corrupted the temple and its worship in their uh, nationalistic exclusivity. And here comes Jesus doing wonderful things that should only be God's prerogative to do. These wonderful things. These are the things that God would do. Uh, Even receiving worship. Implicitly claiming God's authority. In everything that he says and everything that he does. And everything he says and does undermines their authority. It's a claim for divine authority for himself, and it undermines their abuse of their authority, right? So, so they demand to know, by what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? We don't recognize your ordination, right? You didn't go through our school. You weren't approved by any of us. By what authority? Who gave you this authority? <clears throat> it is not an honest question. It is a belligerent, antagonistic question. The Pharisees had... That already come to the conclusion, they've already accused him of working by the power, the authority of the devil. You can read about that earlier in Matthew's gospel. So their question has the appearance of genuine curiosity. There's a way that we could hear it, you know, inflected in a certain way where it's actually just curiosity. Where's where is this authority coming from? Who gave it to you? Right. Uh, It sounds like they could be seeking truly to understand Jesus, but we know it's actually coming from a place of hostility. They've weaponized their question against Jesus. They're weaponizing everything they've got (laughs) against Jesus. They're looking to cause him trouble. They're asking this question from a position of resistance. They're not interested in a real answer to the question of his authority. Many people have appeared to explore the claims of Christianity, the claims of Jesus, the claims of divine authority of Jesus. Many people have appeared to explore these claims. They've asked many questions that seem to be honest and genuine, but in fact are coming from their hostile motives from a position of resistance, not actually looking for answers because they don't want to change their minds about Jesus. If you're asking Jesus questions, you need to be ready for his answers to challenge your assumptions You need to be open to radically changing your mind about the most important things in your life, things you've held to for your whole life. You're going to have to repent and believe the truth about Jesus and come to live in a new reality, the true reality with him that you previously had resisted and rejected. So these religious leaders, uh, they're, they're not dismayed when Jesus eventually refuses to answer their question. 
because they were never really honest, honestly interested in the answer. Not, not really. And that's what Jesus exposes with his response to the question of his authority. Jesus answered them, I'll also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I'll also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? So Jesus is saying, let's be honest with each other. Let's live in reality together if you can stand to do that. Uh, He's not saying, I'm never going to speak the truth to dishonest people. They're not worthy of it. They can't handle the truth. But he is, in this case, exposing the dishonesty of their questions by inviting them to walk together in the truth with him. Let's be honest if you can handle that. Right? So he asks them about the baptism of John, and he'll continue through both of these paragraphs here um, to talk about their response to the authority of John's ministry, his baptism, his teaching, his authority. Right? Uh, God had sent John the Baptist before Jesus. He'd sent John to prepare the way for Jesus through his ministry. So that means that the way people responded to John in advance they would reveal their response to Jesus. The two are connected, right? So Jesus uses that connection, knowing that these religious leaders, they had not had a good response to John, right? They had not submitted to John's call for repentance, which is what his baptism of repentance was about. They had not submitted to the authoritative call for repentance. Jesus knows it will be impossible for them to answer his question. To face the truth, to live in reality with him, to relate to him honestly, right? Unless they're willing to confess their resistance, their hostility, and to change their minds and to repent. They discussed his question about the source of John's authority, discussed that among themselves, saying, well, if we say on the one hand that John's authority came from heaven, you know, he's going to say to us, why didn't you believe him then? Uh, But if we say, on the other hand, well, it's just human authority, it's just from men, we can't say that because the crowd would be upset at us, right? Uh, They all hold that John was a prophet. So, we don't know, right? They answered, we don't know. They never really wrestled with his question, did they? They never really wrestled with his question. All they were looking to do was manage this conversation by anticipating the outcomes that are based on their possible responses. They were not willing to face the truth. They were afraid of the truth. They were afraid of what would happen if they spoke truly. If they admitted that John's authority came from heaven, from God, then they're afraid of divine judgment. They're afraid of Jesus' judgment. If, they're afraid, if they admitted that they thought instead John was just a fraud, human authority, then they're afraid of the popular judgment. So they're afraid of being judged for what's in their hearts. So they don't even examine or say, confess what is in their hearts. So their answer was just a manipulative lie meant to manage others' opinions of them. We don't know. They should have said, We refuse to say what we believe. That at least would be honest. That would represent what is happening here. 
they are refusing to say what they believe because they're afraid. But they can't be honest, even at that level. They cannot relate to Jesus in truth. They can't really wrestle with his questions or his claims. They don't want to. They just want to protect themselves. They perceive Jesus as a threat. And all their interactions with him are bent around eliminating that threat, defending themselves against his reality. They should be willing to examine their motives. Like, why are they engaging with Jesus this way? They should be willing to let him challenge them. They should be open to changing their minds and living in the truth. They should be able to accept who Jesus is, who Jesus says he is, but they're not, which means they cannot really have a relationship with him. So he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You can't know me. The the scriptures reveal clearly to us that Jesus has divine authority. We talk about it all the time, right? Because he is the son of God who has all authority from his father. The scriptures reveal clearly that his authority is good. That is unlike any sinful earthly authority because it is the authority to love and to serve. It's the authority to to teach about the glories of the kingdom of heaven. It's the authority to heal and restore our humanity and relationship with God. The authority to lay down his life for us and the authority to take it up again to bless us with eternal life. The scriptures reveal clearly that Jesus exercises his authority with perfect faithfulness, never abuses his authority, never uses it for his own selfish gain, unlike anyone else who ever lived. So we know that his authority is divine and it's good and it's faithful. He exercises it faithfully. But the religious leaders, they're not interested in coming to know this. They're not interested in relating to Jesus according to his divine and good and faithful authority. They're not interested in submitting to the reality of his authority. So, you know, while, of course, the real answer is implied, you know, the question of his authority, it's implied in what Jesus says in everything about him. His authority is heavenly. Jesus is refusing to answer their dishonest question. And his non-answer exposes and condemns their resistance to the truth of his authority. When Jesus exposes our unwillingness to live with him in the truth, he is bringing the truth to bear in our lives in ways that can be painful. So with this parable, he continues to invite the religious leaders to change their minds, change their minds about him. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I won't. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. He went to the other son and said the same. He answered, I go, sir, but did not go. So which of the two did the will of his father? And they said the first. So Jesus continues to invite their engagement to get them to really wrestle with reality in their relationship with God. What is it you're doing? How are you relating to me? What is it really? And he's inviting them to engage with that. What do you think, he says? He tells them the story of the father with two sons. The the first one initially refuses to do his father's will. I want to have nothing to do with that. He starts off by blatant resistance, overt rebellion. It's real sin. But then he changes his mind. He turns 
He repents. He realigns with the Father's will. The second son here initially appears to be a good, compliant child. He seems obedient. He wants to be known as obedient. He's respectful. He says, I go, sir. But he doesn't go after all. And his show of obedience and respect turns out to be uh, just the opposite, really. So Jesus asks, which of the two did the will of his father? Well, you know, in a sense, the first son initially did not do the will of the father. He initially disobeyed the father. He had no intention of doing the father's will. That was real. But it's clear that what matters is where he ended up. The fact that he changed his mind, that he repented and then did the father's will. Whereas the second son, you know, professed good intentions, but was actually shown to violate the father's will ultimately. So as the religious leaders answer, they're indicting themselves. They're compelled to indict themselves. The first son, you know, initially sinful, but then repentant, did the will of the father. And in the end, the apparently compliant son did not. So the apparently compliant religious leaders cannot escape the logic of his argument. They might try to avoid the truth, but they cannot avoid it. Jesus ultimately draws them into the light of reality, but it isn't a pleasant experience for them because of their resistance, their refusal to change their minds. So Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, but you did not believe him. The tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. Even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. So this is the truth of Jesus. This is the reality of the kingdom of heaven. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are really bad people. They are really sinful people. They're some of the worst people you could imagine. But when they respond to the call to repentance, they go before the religious people into the kingdom of heaven. That really means they go instead. That there's that connotation in that word. They go instead of the religious people. Sinners like tax collectors or prostitutes or whatever's the worst kind of person you can imagine furthest away from keeping God's commandments. Sinners don't go into the kingdom because of their great sin. Like, make no mistake. But it is a blessing that they cannot escape the reality of their sinfulness. That their sin is ever before them. Because they come to know that their only avenue to life is repentance and trust in Jesus. People who cannot stand to know their own sinfulness, who live in denial about there being anything wrong with them, can never know the relief of confession and repentance and faith in Christ's mercy. Apparently compliant religious people who are not open to believing in Jesus, not open to changing their minds and repenting and submitting to Jesus' self-evident authority and living in his reality with him, they might think they belong in the kingdom of heaven, but Jesus says they do not. So this is a call for repentance. Those who are obviously bad people need to repent. Those who are Apparently good people also need to repent. All kinds of sinners need to change their minds about Jesus to drop their resistance and accept his true authority. Yes, that is going to be unpleasant. Confession of sin might not be your idea of good time, right? But it is good. It is good. 
It's good to confess that you've tried to avoid the truth of Jesus and resist the authority of Jesus. It's good to confess that you've deceived yourself and live in denial. It's good to confess that you've been fearful and self-protective and have not been able to really wrestle with Jesus, have not really been able to relate to him honestly. It is understandable that you wouldn't want to do that, that you wouldn't want to make those confessions. Why would we want to drop our resistance and change our minds about the most important things in our lives, the things that we've believed all our lives and built our lives on? Why would we want to change our minds about that? Why would we confess that we have been so fundamentally wrong in our souls, so fundamentally opposed to what is right and true, so deeply hostile to Jesus? Why would anyone want to submit to his authority when it means that? Because he has authority to forgive. He has authority to take us in all our sinfulness and our wrongness and to make us right with God. He has authority to set us free to live in reality with him. He has authority to love and serve and lay down his life for us. He has authority to make perfect repentance on our behalf, to turn our humanity back to God in his own life and in his own death. He has authority to win eternal life for us by his own resurrection. He has authority to take away our fear and to give us joy in his kingdom. His authority is divine. There is no higher authority. There's nothing that can overturn his authority. There's nothing that more truly reflects the God who is at the heart of all reality. He, he has the only authority. His authority is good and submitting to it is good. Being honest with Jesus means relating to him in truth. It means living with him in new ways in his eternal kingdom. So consider the strangeness of our Old Testament reading from Ezekiel 18. I thought it was great that Calvin uh, was in the middle of reading it. Uh, stumbled, was like, what? <laughs> Doesn't make sense. It is strange. A righteous person who ends up doing what is unrighteous will die. And all his righteousness counts for nothing. But even a wicked person who repents will live. That's what God wants. He doesn't want anyone to die. He wants you to repent and change your mind and live. Consider the same strangeness that's found in this parable that Jesus tells. That people who start off bad, really bad, can really become new. That those who change their minds and repent will be warmly received and welcome in Jesus' kingdom. That invitation is open to anyone, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, tax collector, prostitute, apparently compliant religious person. In his good authority, in his mercy and his grace, Jesus calls us to change our minds, to stop living in our deluded fantasies, to, to be set free from the fear of judgment, to step into the light and walk with him in truth. Look, really bad people, like... Tax collectors and sinners, they've led the way. They've gone before us into the kingdom of heaven. As we sang in one of our songs, all the saints who, are, who went before us, the saints are tax collectors and prostitutes. <laughs> the saints are sinners. They've gone before us. They've led the way. They've gone before us into the kingdom of heaven because they changed their minds and repented when called by Jesus. They knew that living with Jesus, relating to him honestly, submitting to the reality of his authority, 
was better than the ruin that they brought upon themselves by trying to avoid his truth unsuccessfully. So go ahead. It's okay to admit you've been wrong in the worst possible ways about the most important things. It's okay to confess that you were hostile toward God, even that nothing short of his son's death would satisfy your hostility against him. Only his death would be enough to satisfy the true requirements of righteousness. Only his death could atone for your sins. And he was willing. If Jesus was willing to die to open heaven to you, to free you from the judgment and condemnation your sins deserve, to live with you forever in his glorious kingdom, then it's okay to change your mind and repent. It's okay to forsake your own self-righteousness, your own reputation. Your friends and family and co-workers might think worse of you. That's okay. Nobody ever thought well of repentant tax collectors and prostitutes either. Nobody except for God who received them into his kingdom with open arms in the name of Jesus. Let them show you the way. It'll be good for you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we can easily be afraid to face the truth be known by you, even to know ourselves truly. Help us to be assured that the deepest truth is that you have already known us and that in Christ you have loved us with an unwavering love that will never end. Help us to face the truth about ourselves in the security of our relationship with you. Help us to wrestle with you honestly and not self-protectively. Lord Jesus, help us to submit to your good authority, entering your kingdom with joy, even as great sinners have done before us. We pray in your name. Amen.